0: This morning we begin a, a long trek through the epistle of James, starting in James chapter 1. We'll be going through these probably for a few months, on and off, depending on some breaks that we might throw in there. So let's read James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word given to us through, the, uh, through your disciple James. And I pray that we will take it, we will hold it dear to our heart, we will apply it to our lives... And that you will grant us that perfect patience that we so desire and that you so promise. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Yeah. So joy in the midst of trials, it looks a lot different than joy in the midst of comfort. We all know this to be true. We can often think of joy in trials as mustering a smile, or maybe even a laugh, to try to get your way through whatever you're You're doing, or whatever's happening to you, whatever trial is given to you. But that isn't what joy and suffering looks like most of the time. We can learn of this joy not only from the instruction found in Holy Scripture, but in the lives of faithful saints before us. Joy in the midst of suffering looks a lot like courage, it looks a lot like confidence, like faith. And this kind of joy was displayed. In early Christian martyrs, for example, St. Blandina of the third century was brought before the Colosseum in Rome to be killed by wild animals because she was a Christian. And while tied to the stake, a young Christian boy, around 15 years old, his name was Ponticus, Ponticus, and he was tied up to the stake right beside her. He was trembling with fear. But Blandina emboldened him to take his death with courage, as every Christian ought. And he suffered greatly at the hands of the Roman guards, but he persevered, and he did not deny the faith, but became a witness of the joy of Christ in the face of death. Blandina also joyfully went to her death, and she is remembered even to this day for her faith and her perseverance. That is what joy in the midst of trials looks like. Our trials are given to us for a purpose. Our sufferings are given to us in order for us, as James says, to be made perfect and complete. The joy set before us as Christians, and the joy set before those Christians who suffer the hard providences of God, is worth more than any comfort of this life. And James, the author of this letter, was no stranger to trials or persecutions. Now, we don't know exactly which James wrote this letter. Some say James, the brother of Jesus. Some say James, the brother of John, the apostle. But James, the brother of Jesus, is often thought to have written this epistle. Now, James, the the brother of John, is also a likely candidate. The brother of John was an apostle in Jerusalem during the persecutions of Saul and Herod in the book of Acts. He was eventually beheaded under the order of King Herod Agrippa in A.D. 40. and You can see that in Acts chapter 12. The brother of Jesus, James the brother of Jesus, became a bishop in Jerusalem some years later. And he too was martyred. But he was killed by Jewish authorities in the early 60s. He was thrown off the temple tower in Jerusalem. And while he lay dying, he prayed for his persecutors as they threw stones at him from top of the temple. Both men, both of them, knew what it was like to have joy in the midst of trials. Because they knew what that joy produced in the character of God's people. And they looked at that with hope. They looked on the Lord Jesus Christ with hope in the midst of those persecutions. Now this James, whoever it is, writing this letter, is writing to the twelve tribes scattered throughout the surrounding regions around Jerusalem. The sheep of God have been struck with the rod of persecution, and as a result, they've been scattered. And James, which is really, in in Greek, his name is Jacob. It's not actually James. James is the English translation of that Greek name. His name is actually Jacob. This Jacob is speaking like a father to his twelve sons. He's about to teach them how to respond to hardships that they'll face. How to, how to respond in faith and how to act wisely. He's about to teach them how to respond to the hardships they'll face. In verse 1 he says, greetings. Now I'm not going to bore you with the original translation, but the poor, this is actually a poor translation of that word. It seems simple, greetings. But the, trans, the, the original language says, joy be to you. He starts off with joy to a scattered people. He says, joy be to you. Be to you. Those who have been afflicted by various sufferings and persecutions, threats of death, he says, Joy be to you. So Jacob must have some information that they don't have. He must have some wisdom or insight that they don't have. And that's exactly what Jacob is about to give them. He's about to show them that these trials are meant to make them complete in Christ. And that joy, that courage and confidence can be theirs no matter the trial, no matter what they go through. Verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. These trials that God's people are facing are trials that they fall into. Now these are not sufferings produced by their own sin or rebellion. And I'm sure you can think of those times in your life when you've endured some hardship or some suffering because you did something stupid. Or you sinned. That's not what James or Jacob is speaking about here. And you can see examples of that in your children as well. You tell your son not to climb the fence in the backyard. What does he do? He disobeys. He climbs the fence, he gets to the top, and he falls off. And as a result, he has to suffer the consequences of his rebellion. He had to suffer that hurt. But these trials are more akin to, let's say, Roman guards showing up to your door in the middle of night. It's more akin to loved ones dying due to illness. It's more like being homeless or destitute as no fault of your own. Those types of sufferings is what Jacob is talking about. He's speaking of trials that are a result of external circumstances. Events ordained by God and out of our control. Now, these these trials refer to external afflictions, but these can also refer to inner temptation to sin. And I think Jacob is showing us both in this context. Events in our lives, especially tragic events, can be temptations for us. We can be tempted to sin as a result. An easy example of this can be found in the martyrs mentioned before. Blandina could have renounced her faith. She could have rejected Christ and been saved. But she didn't. She persevered. And as a result, she was killed. That was a real temptation for her. But she chose to count it as joy and continue through those temptations and those trials. Or what about losing your job because of your convictions? Now that could be a legitimate possibility in our country in the near future. What if you're just too Christian for your particular job and you decide uh, he's, he's too much of a liability for us? Those are the types of things that can tempt us to sin. You could be tempted to hide in order for that not to happen. You could be tempted to be vindictive toward your former employer. In these circumstances, Jacob says that we must count it all joy. Count it all joy. And this is a command. This isn't a suggestion. It's a command. You must make the decision to count your trials as joy. You must be willing to accept these hard providences that God puts in your life. And this is difficult to do for various reasons. We obviously don't want to go through these hard situations. We don't want to lose a child to miscarriage. We don't want to lose a job. We don't want to lose a father or a mother. We don't want to be ridiculed. By our family or mocked by our co-workers. We don't want to be persecuted by our government. But that that isn't up to us. We don't choose those trials. The life of a Christian isn't easy, and our Lord, our Lord's life proves that. He gives us these hardships because these trials are tests of our faith. And these tests are not meant to be mean, they're not meant to tally up some sort of score that God has to make sure that you're hitting the marks. God's testing is not the same as making sure that you're loyal. That's not God's testing. Think of this testing as being put through the fire to come out more glorious than before. God's testing is a refining. That's the purpose of it. It's to refine you, not break you. And what what he refines about you is your character, is your witness. Which is a result of your faith. Verse 3 he says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So, the reason why the Lord scattered these 12 tribes is because he wanted to test their faith, he wanted to refine them. Our suffering is like a wilderness period, our suffering is like a time of testing. Hebrews chapter 3 says the same. It talks about the testing of Israel in the wilderness. It was a trial for Israel to rely solely on the Lord. And they failed that trial. Their bodies were scattered through the wilderness. Job's faith was tested. It was tested by Satan. His life became a wilderness. He lost his children, his servants, his advisors, his friends, his house. And he was left scraping himself alone in an ash heap. Even Paul. Paul was imprisoned, shipwrecked, beaten, homeless. He was even bitten by a snake. I mean, the guy had it rough. That was for his perseverance. It was for his refinement. He knew that his perseverance would produce something more valuable than earthly comforts. And Jacob says that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, I find it interesting that Jacob, this new Jacob in the New Testament, is speaking to us about patience. Remember the story of Jacob and Laban in Genesis. Do you remember how he desired to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel? And the only way to do that was to become a bondservant to Laban for a short period of time. It was seven years. And instead, Laban tricked him. He tricked him into marrying Leah. His daughter Leah instead of Rachel, whom Laban promised. So Jacob worked another seven years for Rachel. But Laban tricked him again. And he made him work for him another six years. So a total of 20 years, Jacob is working for this tyrant, patiently plugging away, doing what he has promised he would do. 20 years of servitude and abuse. Jacob's patience was a defining characteristic throughout his life because he trusted the Lord through his trials and he joyfully endured them. And as a result of his life of faith in the face of trial, the Lord gave him a new name, Israel, which means wrestled with God. And he blessed him with a nation, 12 tribes. Jacob's life was a life of trial and the result was patience and completion. In that phrase the testing of your faith produces patience should remind us of another passage in scripture Romans chapter 5 which says we as gl- also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the holy spirit who was given to us. So perseverance produces character and character, hope. We are to glory in our tribulations. Counting our various trials as not only something that we should suffer through, but something that is good. It is good. We are to glory in them, to take pleasure in them. Why? Why? Because we know that those various trials, those various hardships, will produce in us a character that produces hope. A hope that Christianity, a a hope that clings to the love of God. A hope that is poured out into our lives by the Holy Spirit. Christianity is about clinging to Christ. The Christ who took the form of a servant, who suffered various trials... And temptations. And died looking forward to the hope of resurrection and ascension. So if you want to know what patience looks like, look no further than our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord is the perfect image of this patience. And our suffering is meant to mold us into that perfect image. Verse 4 says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. So patience does a work in us that brings us to completion or perfection. We lack nothing, Jacob says. But what does this mean? What does this mean? We hear this language quite often in the benedictions of the epistles. Now we know what benedictions are. They're prayers or blessings. They usually conclude something. At the end of the New Testament letter, writing, the writer will often include some sort of blessing of prayer for his audiences. And one such prayer in Hebrews chapter 13 says this. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So benedictions usually have this long-term language, this eschatological language, this end result. Language that points to the end or, the, or Christ's coming, some completion to the Christian faith. And here we see the word complete. And the author uses it to describe the state of, of a saint Who does good works according to the will of God. That is what it means to be complete. To be able to do good works according to the will of God and do so joyfully. And you'll see this theme throughout the book of James. Good works according to God's will. And part of our perseverance is the working of that faith through good works. This working of that faith through good works makes us complete or perfect. Now, these two words, complete and perfect, are the same words. There's no difference or nuance here. He's doubling down. James is saying, you'll be made perfect. You'll be made perfect. Complete, complete. They mean the same thing. To be made perfect is to be made complete, and and to be made complete is to be made perfect. In other words... This means that that we are to be made like Christ. Like Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 says, For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now, Paul here is talking about good works in love. He's talking about feeding the poor, moving mountains by faith, understanding all things in love. Love makes our works complete. But he says, but when that which is perfect has come. When that which is perfect has come. come. Paul is saying that at the end of history, the eschaton, when all is done away with, when the world is made complete, Christ has come. He is that completion. He is that which is perfect that will come. He is that perfection that Jacob is talking about. But will not be complete unless... We are patient unless we perse- persevere through these trials that our Lord gives us. These trials are meant to foster that patience so that we are humbled, not envious, not puffed up with pride. All the things that Paul says in First Corinthians 13. Paul says to remember that love suffers long. And love, along with our good works, will make us perfect, complete on the last day. Our suffering is meant to refine us. And our love for the Lord is meant to refine us so that we are complete witnesses of the suffering one, our Lord Jesus Christ, and are made partakers of His divine grace. But remember that this is all His doing. So we can talk about works, and we'll do that definitely later throughout the book of James. But we can think of works as something that's we produce we're the ones who should be taking the credit for what we do but that's not the that's not the posture that Jacob takes at the beginning of his letter all of this is done by the grace of god it's all his doing remember paul said in romans 5 that the hope produced by our patience during trials does not disappoint us because we have received the holy spirit Who has poured out the love of God in our hearts. That love doesn't stem from us. It's from the spirit. Our trials are God's doing. Our works are God's doing. Through those trials. And our completion in Christ Jesus. Is God's doing. It is all grace. And this perfect patience that our Lord Jesus promises us. Through the love of God poured out in our hearts. By this spirit. Means that we will lack nothing we will be made complete for every good work according to His will. And this means, if you count all of God's hard providences as joy, you will lack no ounce of courage, no ounce of faith, when those, when those challenges become increasingly more difficult. When, when our challenges are more than just us losing our conveniences. If we've suffered through those trials with joy... And through that patience have produced hope and confidence and faith. Then we'll be able to take even the harder providences. And we can't be so arrogant as to say that our Lord Jesus, who suffered brutality at the hands of an angry mob. Who was hurried through a kangaroo court. Who was humiliated in front of hundreds and thousands of people. Who was crucified naked on a cross. We cannot be so arrogant as to say that He would never require that of us. No, this is the path to completion. And just because we do not see it in our city, we do not see it in our country or our, our state, it does not mean that it will never happen to us. It does not mean that that may, that may be the path that the Lord God has given us. Our small sufferings, our small trials must be counted as joy because patience produces character and character hope. And hope will not disappoint when you are called to a higher trial. Stories about martyrdom used to seem overdramatic to me. I used to think that that was just totally foreign. There's no way that that could happen to American Christians. And I'm sure the Armenian Christians may have thought the same before the Muslims crucified them in droves in the early 1900s. That's not too long ago. I'm sure the Russian Christians thought the same before the atheistic Bolsheviks rounded them up in 1917. I'm sure the French Christians, before the French Revolution, or even the early church Christians, before the Jewish Rebellion in the first century, thought something similar at times. We must take the words of our Lord Jesus Christ seriously. He did not tell us to take up our cross and follow him because he knew that we might have to cut our cable one day because our budget got tight. That's not the suffering that our Lord is telling us about. This is not the cross that he is demanding of you. He demands your life. And he promises that if you give it up for him, he will give you patience Joy, hope, and everlasting life. He will make you complete in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we shouldn't fear this day. We shouldn't fear when the Lord may require this of us. In the words of Jacob, joy be to you. He's talking to people who will likely die. Who will likely suffer famine and loss and homelessness. Count all of these small trials you face as joy. If you view the small wildernesses of your life in this way, those trials will prepare you to take a stand like Blandina and Ponticus, if the Lord ever calls you to such a task. So when you have major financial problems that you don't know how you're going to get through, you count it as joy. You take pleasure in it. When you don't know where the next paycheck is going to come, you count it as joy. When you lose a father or a mother, you count it as joy. When you lose a child to miscarriage, you count it as joy. When you face mocking and jeering for your faith, you count it as joy. When you make it, we have to make a choice to follow Jesus or lose everything, you lose everything. And then you count it as joy. You praise God. You sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You count it all as joy. How you respond, you respond to these refining trials that our Lord gives you matters. Count it all joy and endure with the patience that produces perfection in Christ Jesus our Lord. Take up your cross and follow him. In the name of the Father